Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In May of 2018, the city of New Orleans celebrated its 300th anniversary. Once merely a small French outpost in the bend of the mighty Mississippi River, it is now the home to a vibrant culture with a vast array of ethnic and multilingual roots unlike anywhere else in the United States. New Orleans' long, winding history is defined not only by the rapidly changing colonial governments that shaped it, but also its people's never-ending attempts at survival amidst tragic fires, horrific plagues, and vicious hurricanes. Of course, there's more to the Crescent City's story than Mardi Gras and the birth of jazz deeply intertwined into its past is an extensive collection of dark tales, folklore, and legends that claim the presence of everything from ghosts and voodoo practitioners to pirates and vampires. Today, no structure embodies the earliest roots of these dark tales more than the Ursuline Convent, which still sits on Charter Street and is one of the oldest buildings still standing in the city's historic French Quarter. But it's this building that many believe to have been the home to America's first vampires mythic creatures, said to have grown tired of the old world, stowed away on ships of young women sent from France to marry its colonists and help populate this young city. Young women who were known simply as the casket girls. My name is Brandon Schecksneider and you are listening to Southern Gothic. This episode of Southern Gothic is the first of a three-part series called The Birth of a City. 
Subscribe now on your favorite podcasting app to receive future episodes. In 1717, Jean-Baptiste Lemoyne, Sir de Bienville, the governor of the French colony of Louisiana, requested permission to build a new capital city at a location he found on the mouth of the Mississippi River. The native French-Canadian had begun exploration of the Gulf Coast region with his brother Iberville only a little more than a decade before and personally assisted in the founding of a French settlement near the deep water harbor of Dauphin Island, which would become the city of Mobile. But this new location, inhabited by the Chittimacha tribe for thousands of years, attracted Bienville's attention due to a wide array of strategic advantages over Mobile. Not only was this new territory nestled in the crescent bend of the lower Mississippi, protecting it from frequent hurricanes and flooding, but its location between the river and Lake Pontchartrain made it central to trade routes between the French's colonial settlements. A military presence here would also give the French the ability to control the mouth of the Mississippi, as well as the entire river valley all the way up through North America to its holdings in Canada. Bienville named his new city La Nouvelle-Orléans, or simply New Orleans. By 1719, enough structures had been erected in New Orleans to begin moving supplies from Mobile, but development was slow. The brutal heat and humidity of southeastern Louisiana, as well as frequent flooding and hurricanes, proved to be a challenge. As a result, levees were constructed to protect New Orleans from the temperamental weather and the seasonal rise and fall of the mighty Mississippi's waters. So plans were set for the city to be constructed in an 11 by 7 square block rectangle, a now historic district known as the French Quarter. Despite Bienville finally moving the colonial capital in 1723, the early population of the city was less than desirable. Primarily filled with soldiers, slaves, fur trappers, miners, 
gamblers and natives. The French government went so far as to exile portions of its prison population to the city. This left New Orleans with few skilled laborers and even less wealthy land-grant recipients. Scottish economist John Law had a vested interest in rectifying this problem. Wars waged by King Louis XIV had left France's economy and finances in dire straits. As a result, Law convinced the Crown to consolidate trading in Louisiana into a single monopoly whose shares would then be sold in order to stimulate France's economy back home. Law was then placed in charge of the endeavor, which became known as the Mississippi Company. And in 1721, he was able to convince hundreds of German farmers to migrate to the region and set up farms along the river north of the new city. These farms helped provide stability to the territory, but Law had promised investors a thriving population, and he knew that the territory needed growing families to be successful. Unfortunately, the city had no hospitals to care for families, little infrastructure to support growth, and no women to marry. So in 1726, Law and Bienville made an appeal to King Louis XV, who then called upon the Ursuline nuns to travel to New Orleans with the mission to provide a solid education to young women meant to marry, build families, and help civilize the New World. The French colonies of North America, known as New France, had received assistance from the Ursulines as early as 1639, when sisters of the Roman Catholic order arrived in Quebec to establish a convent and school for girls. And while these early Ursulines were the first Catholic nuns to arrive in the New World, as the French colonies expanded southward and cities were established, in what are now the states of Alabama and Louisiana, the order followed, arriving first in Mobile as early as 1719. Then, in July of 1727, 12 Ursuline nuns arrived in New Orleans, sent by their superiors in France, on a ship named La Gironde. The women, immediately got to work, and that same year they founded the Ursuline Academy, which would become the first boarding school in Louisiana, and remains to this day the oldest continually operating Catholic school for girls in the country. But they did more than educate the girls of New Orleans. Over the years, the Ursulines gained a reputation for being saviors of the city. They also ran an orphanage and built one of the city's first hospitals. They tended to the sick 
through various yellow fever epidemics and malaria outbreaks. Old New Orleans folklore even claims that it was the prayers of the Ursuline sisters themselves that saved New Orleans not once, but twice in its early history. First, during a devastating fire in 1794, when winds suddenly shifted and the convent was spared from the flames. And second, in 1815, when during a prayer service, word was received that the Americans had successfully defeated the British at the Battle of New Orleans. Erected between 1748 and 1752 on Charter Street, the Ursuline Convent is not only one of the oldest structures still standing in the city, but it is also one of the only buildings still remaining from the era of French Louisiana. This convent was actually the second built by the Ursulines in New Orleans, having been constructed to replace their first building, which was built upon ever-shifting swampland. That first convent, which was completed in 1734, was rendered uninhabitable in only a decade, as the soft ground caused the walls to move and floors to sink into the muck. A curving cypress staircase was all that could be saved from the first convent when it was relocated to the newer Charter Street building where it still stands today. The staircase remains one of the oldest surviving architectural pieces in the Mississippi Valley. But the tale of the Ursulines, saviors of the city, also takes a dark turn. For it's what was and still might be hidden behind the walls of this convent that is one of the most mysterious parts of its long history. Legend says that not only is the Ursuline convent purportedly the home to the very first vampires, but that the coffins of these deadly supernatural creatures might still remain in its attic today. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she... Or she, call the police. Or call the police, like she should have, <laughs> exactly. What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. 
On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The French had been sending young single women of Marian age to its colonies in North America since 1634, when 100 women, known as les filles mariées, or marriageable girls, were sent to New France for this purpose. And by 1663, a stream of approximately 800 more women, known as les filles de Roy, or the king's daughters, would begin to immigrate to Montreal and Quebec. But until now, Louisiana saw a fraction of these numbers. In 1704, a group of 40 girls, now called the Pelican Girls, arrived in Mobile on a ship named Le Pelican. They were then followed by a group of orphans, prisoners, and impoverished girls between the ages of about 14 to 20, who were sent to Biloxi in 1721. Then, In 1728, after repeated appeals from Bienville and John Law, the Company of the Indies would do the same for New Orleans, sponsoring girls to be sent to the colony. These girls would become known as La Fille à la Cassette, or quite simply, Casket Girls. Bienville requested marriageable girls who were Catholic and in good moral standing. Yet who exactly these young women that arrived in New Orleans were is still a subject of controversy. Some were likely orphans from French convents sent to marry and spread the Catholic teachings. Others, women of ill repute, debtors, and undesirables from back home in Europe. Some of these girls were sponsored by the Catholic diocese. Others, by John Law's company, and still others sent by their well-to-do, loyal French families who were enticed by the prospect of their daughter marrying a respectable colonist of means. But the thing that stands out about these young women, more than their European roots, is that each girl arrived with a small trunk Some claim these trunks were issued by the French government, who filled them with the clothes and supplies needed for a new life in New Orleans. Others claim these trunks, or caskets as they were called, contained a dowry. And upon arrival with these trunks, these young women were to be housed, taught, and chaperoned by the Ursuline sisters. 
and the caskets they traveled with were to be locked away until the day they married. Of course, legend tells an entirely different tale. It's said that one night, a particularly unusual group of girls arrived in New Orleans by ship, claiming they were sent to study at the Ursuline Convent until they could be married. To the surprise of the men unloading their belongings from the ship, these girls did not travel with the same small trunks that previous girls had arrived with. Instead, they had brought with them ones much larger and much heavier. Then, after arriving at the convent, the girls claimed these trunks must be locked tight and should not be opened until the day that they left. So the nuns, heeding the girls' requests, placed the locked trunks in the third floor attic of the convent. But when the time finally came and the nuns went upstairs to unseal the first of these caskets, it was found already open and empty. A panic quickly grew amidst the Ursulines as they soon discovered that none of the large, heavy caskets the girls had arrived with had any contents at all. The nuns fearfully surmised that these girls must have brought vampires to the colony with them. The unholy monsters hiding in these caskets during the day and escaping through the attic windows to roam the streets of the city at night. As protection from this evil, they sought to have a special blessing placed on the convent, preventing the vampires, now out of their coffins, from re-entering to sleep at sunrise. So the attic windows where the caskets were placed were sealed with blessed screws. To this very day, New Orleans folklore still claims that vampires, tired of the old world, came to the city in these chests, stowed away on the ships that carried these girls. Yet others believe that it may have in fact been the girls themselves who were the vampires. And when their activities in France caught the eye of the Pope, they escaped to New Orleans. Stories of vampirism have existed in cultures around the world for a millennia, but the modern incarnation of the pale, undead beings who prowl the night for victims did not peak in Western Europe until the 17th century, inevitably spreading to the North American colonies thereafter. Possible explanations for the belief that these women were indeed undead were that they likely arrived in New Orleans, pale and gaunt, sometimes even deathly ill, from their long journey across the Atlantic without proper nourishment, often relegated below deck with little fresh air or sunshine. Others say it is likely that some of them may have even contracted tuberculosis on the voyage, arriving in New Orleans, coughing up blood. 
stories of vampires in New Orleans have flourished for more than 250 years in the back alleys and crime-ridden streets of a city with a perpetually high murder rate, unexplained disappearances, and mysterious deaths. Yet it's unknown when these tales, attributing the supernatural to the casket girls, actually began. And in reality, it is likely merely a product of misunderstandings and translation. The word casket, as a synonym for coffin, is an American creation, dating to the early 19th century. So when the French term, la fille à la cassette, was translated to casket girls, it allowed for American imaginations to run wild. In fact, historically, the first definition of casket was merely a small box, often of costly make, for valuables. Yet these stories have persisted, and some still claim the trunks of the original casket girls are still hidden away in the attic of the convent today. But even then, the building central to this legend was not actually completed until 1734, long after the casket girls are said to have brought vampires to the city. Additionally, the mysterious third-floor attic of Lore was actually home to six rooms that housed orphans being cared for by the sisters and was not actually used as storage for the dowries of these young ladies. Of course, as centuries went on, the legend continued. It's believed that between 1918 and 1934, Catholic Archbishop John William Shaw even attempted to put a stop to these tales, ordering the heavy shutters on the 11 attic dormer windows of the old convent to be closed and sealed permanently. His successor, Archbishop Joseph Francis Rummel, is then said to demand that they be secured even further with 8,000 blessed screws. Unfortunately, these attempts only helped further cement the tale and local lore. The city of New Orleans remained under French rule for over 40 years after its founding by Bienville. But following the economic crash of the Mississippi bubble, fueled by John Law's speculative gambles, the French's interest in Louisiana faded in comparison to its holdings in Canada and the West Indies, eventually giving way to the colonial city's secession to the Spanish in 1763. But the Ursulines remained, and today, the old convent serves as both ecclesiastical offices and a repository for the archives of the Catholic Archdiocese of New Orleans. The building and attached church are open to the public for tours, highlighting the Ursuline Order's immense role in the city's rich history.
And although vampires may not actually call the attic of the Ursuline convent home, many do still claim that if you pass the building at night, you can feel eyes peering down at you from its shuttered third-floor windows. Echoes of the treacherous origins of a young city that upon arriving to in 1727, less than a decade after its inception, 23-year-old Ursuline's sister, Marie Madeleine Hachard, once wrote, The devil has a great empire here. Not only do debauchery, bad faith, and all other vices reign here more than any other place, but they do so with abundance. Many would say that 300 years later, this young Ursuline's words still ring true, and the city of New Orleans has an abundance of legends and lore to bolster that claim. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you've been listening to Southern Gothic. This special episode of Southern Gothic contains special theme music written and performed by Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter Adam Wright, as well as a performance by veteran blues harpist Bob Hemhill and a guest cameo by Donna Elwin of A Paranormal Chicks Podcast. All other content is written and produced by Brandon and Brianne Schecksneider. To keep up with future episodes, subscribe today on Apple's podcast app, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. Lucky Little Shacks. Available now on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your favorite music. Dust. Like dust in the light. An 11-song masterpiece by Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter Adam Wright. And we Featuring performances by Leanne Womack, Aubrey Sellers, and Shannon Wright. Dust. What's something you learned in history class that you feel like wasn't the whole truth? Better yet, what's something you didn't learn at all that was omitted completely? That's what I like to call redacted history. My name is Andre White, the host of the Redacted History Podcast, the place where history's forgotten events, heroes, and villains get their story told, one episode at a time. The Redacted History Podcast. Real history never dies. Stream the Redacted History Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. 
So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts.